tonight before we launch into this presentation, could I ask you to bow your heads with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to study the Bible together. I want to especially pray that tonight as we cover this very, very controversial subject, um, may, may each of us accept the plain teaching of Scripture to be our guide. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, tonight, I want to talk to you about the coming of Jesus. And what we want to do in this subject tonight is we really want to examine very carefully what does the Bible say. In other words, we don't want to speculate. We don't want to try to bring in a preconceived idea. Let's just notice plainly what the Bible says. And tonight, I want to give you five facts about the coming of Jesus, okay? So, in order to begin, let's first establish from the Bible, did Jesus actually say that he would actually come back? And so, we're going to go to John 14, and we're going to start in verse 1. And I want you to notice the words of Jesus here. He said, let not your heart be what? Troubled. What an encouraging promise. Uh, someone told me that... Um, well, uh, some of you may know this, but as we are sitting here tonight, there is a, a rise of tension in the South China Sea. Some of you might know what's going on between Taiwan and mainland China, and I just heard that China has demonstrated some super or hypersonic missile capability. So there are some things that are happening in the world that could really trouble you if you let them. But Jesus' words to us tonight is, let not your heart be troubled. I like to believe Jesus. How about you? Amen. So he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, notice these next four words. Let's say them, let's say them together. I will come again. Jesus said in his own words that he would come back again. Is that clear? And notice what he goes on to say, and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I want to point out that Jesus promised that he would come back. But when the disciples asked on the Mount of Olives, if you remember this conversation that we had on our second night together, the disciples wanted to know, Jesus, tell us what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world. One of the first things that Jesus predicted, he said, if anyone, then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ or there, do not believe it, for what? False Christs uh, will arise and shall deceive many. Now, I want to point something out. Jesus warned about deception. And this is something that we need to be careful of because when Jesus warned about deception, in fact, the rest of the verse goes on to say that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. What does that mean? It means that the deceptions concerning Jesus' coming would be of a nature that could even deceive Christians. Now, I think you understand that when we talk about deception, it's, it's not that people choose to be deceived, right? It's not like you go out, unless you go to a magic show, nobody pays to be deceived, right? So how do you know that you're not going to be deceived? Well, one of the safeguards when it comes to Christianity is to make sure that you understand what the Bible teaches on a topic in its totality. Does that make sense? In other words, don't just look at one passage or don't just look 
you want to see what the entire Bible has to say about a topic. And tonight, we want to look at five facts about the coming of Jesus. The first fact is this. The Bible teaches that Jesus himself will come back. I want you to notice what Jesus did in front of the disciples in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, notice what the Bible says. Now, remember, the book of Acts was written after Jesus resurrected. Does that make sense? Why am I emphasizing that? Because here is where we find some facts about his ascension and his return. Notice what it says. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come, what are the next three words there? In like manner as you saw him go. Now, I don't know if you've noticed something, but the disciples were instructed that in the same way that Jesus ascended, it would be the same way in which Jesus would what? Come back. Did you notice that? It's, it's pretty plain here. The same Jesus, notice the emphasis, it's this same Jesus, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Now, let's review something. When Jesus went up, when he ascended in front of the disciples, <coughs> excuse me, was it literally Jesus? In other words, was it a, a figure, like was, did it just look like Jesus, but maybe, you know, you could poke something right through him, or was it really flesh and bone? Well, we don't have to guess this, because when Jesus resurrected, he actually told his disciples this in Luke 24, verses 38 and 39. He said unto them, why are you troubled, and why do you doubt and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So I want to ask you again, when Jesus resurrected, was it literally Jesus? Was, it his, was he a person still? What, did he have flesh and bones, yes or no? The Bible says yes, which means that Jesus in Acts, when he ascended, the angel said that the same way that Jesus ascended is the same way that he would what? Return. Does that make sense? So the first point that I want to emphasize is that it's Jesus himself that returns literally. The second point that I want to make, according to the Bible, when Jesus comes, you will be able to see Jesus coming. Notice Revelation 1 verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds. And how many? Every eye shall see him. So according to the Bible, when Jesus comes, how many eyes see him? Everybody. That's what the Bible says. Let me take you to Matthew 24. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then how many? All the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will what? See the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, as you're sitting here tonight, some of you are thinking, why are people mourning when Jesus comes? Mourning as in M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Okay, why are they mourning when Jesus comes? Well, part of the reason, and we're going to see this in Revelation chapter 6, part of the reason that they mourn is because some of these people were not ready to meet Jesus when he comes. Does that make sense? And so, but don't miss this. The Bible teaches that when Jesus comes, it says that in Revelation 1, 7, every eye will see him. Here in Matthew 24, the Bible tells us that all the tribes of the earth will see him and that they will mourn. 
When we come over to Matthew 24, verse 27, the Bible uses this figure from nature. It says, for as the, what? Lightning comes from the east and flashes all the way to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Have you ever been in a big lightning storm before? I mean, I, so I've lived in Pennsylvania for about two years now. I haven't really seen, I, I've, you know, I've seen some thunderstorms, but I haven't really seen a big one. When I lived, I, I used to live, uh, or I briefly lived in Kansas. And, you know, it, western Kansas, it's flat. And, you know, you can see the horizon. I saw these huge storm clouds. It was, you know, I, I can't gauge the distance, but in the clouds, on, as the evening was setting, there were flashes of lightning going through the clouds. And I have to tell you that for the brief moments when the lightning flashed, it wasn't even raining where I was. When the lightning would flash, for a brief moment, it was, it was as bright as day, you know, for those brief moments. So the Bible uses this illustration that when Jesus comes, it will be as visible as lightning. And that's a very, very clear uh, illustration from Jesus literally return. And not only will you be able to see it, but the Bible teaches that when Jesus comes, you're going to hear it. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of what instrument? A trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, please note something. The Bible here is saying that when Jesus comes, there's a sound of what instrument? A trumpet. And this is not the only place it says it. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. Here's what it says. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with what else? The trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, did you notice something? In this verse, it's not just the sound of a trumpet. The Bible says that when the Lord comes from heaven, there is a what? A shout, and what else? A voice, and then finally, there's also a trumpet. In one verse, describing the coming of Jesus, there are three references to the fact that when Jesus comes, you can hear it. Does that make sense? And this is not the only part of the verse that I want to read to you tonight. It goes on in verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. This is a beautiful promise. We're going to talk about this more in an upcoming topic. But in Psalms 50 verse 3, here's what the Bible says. Our God shall come. This is describing the second coming. And shall not keep what? Silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. Did you notice the emphasis that when Jesus comes, you can what? You can hear it. It's audible. So not only does Jesus literally return, not only can you see it, not only can you hear it, but the Bible also teaches that when Jesus comes, there is also going to be something happening in the earth. And I want to share something with you here. In Psalms 50, verse 3, the Bible says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very what? Tempestuous. So this is a clue about what's going to happen. Here, is, here it is in Revelation 6. The Bible says, And the heaven departed as a what? Scroll when it is rolled together, and every, notice this, every what? Mountain and island were what? moved out of their places. Did you notice that when Jesus comes, earth becomes like unglued? Did you notice this? Like everything the Bible says is in upheaval and in movement. 
In fact, in Matthew 16, the Bible says this, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. The Bible says that when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and how many? All the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Now, do you remember that when Jesus was laid in the, in the tomb, do you remember how many angels came and basically just, you know, incapacitated an entire Roman uh, or a Roman guard? It was just one. But the Bible says that when Jesus comes, he comes with all of his holy angels. Did you notice that? Someone once asked, well, how many angels is that? The Bible actually gives us a figure on this. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 11. It says, and I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times what? 10,000. So I don't know if you're good at math, but 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. Okay, so that's 100 million. And then it goes on to say, and thousands of thousands. So that's a few more, you know, millions there, right? Or a million there, right? So what's interesting is that the Bible gives us this picture of when Jesus comes, earth is in upheaval, and there is this massive, massive retinue of angels, all the angels that come with Jesus when he comes. And again, the book of Daniel emphasizes this number when it says 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. So let's review. When Jesus comes, he will come back literally. When he comes, you will be able to see it. When he comes, you'll hear it. When Jesus comes, earth will be unglued and it will be glorious. Why? Because God comes with all of his angels uh, and the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now in Revelation chapter 22, the Bible lets us know that when Jesus comes, it will be the end of human history. Let me read this to you from Revelation 22, verse 11. The Bible says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my what? My reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Now, let me review something with you. The Bible says that there will come a time when God says, whoever is holy, let him stay holy. Whoever is sinful or wicked, let him remain that way. He that is filthy, let him remain filthy. And then Jesus says, I am coming to give my reward to how many different people, by the way? To everybody. So does that mean that, does he give a reward to the righteous, yes or no? Yes. Does he give a reward to the wicked? Absolutely he does. And that's what the Bible is saying here in Revelation chapter 22. Let me read to you what the reward to the wicked looks like at this point. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 15, the Bible says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, notice what they're saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the what creature? Isn't that ironic? The wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to what? Now, did you notice 
that the description of when Jesus comes is very, very, it's met with uh, uh, anguish and fear by these people who are asking the rocks to cover them. Why? Because they're not ready. In other words, there is a group of people who under that divine pronouncement, let him that is filthy remain filthy still, their probation or their destiny has been sealed. Their time has closed. And when Jesus comes to, res- to give out this reward, the Bible tells us that they want to hide from the face of Jesus. Revelation goes on to paint this picture, uh, asking the question, who shall be able to stand? A question that we should be asking ourselves as well. In Isaiah chapter 25, it describes the other group of people who will meet Jesus when he comes, and notice their response to the news that Christ is coming. It will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have what? Waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Friends, today, that question in Revelation is being asked even to us right now. The question is, when Jesus comes, who will be able to stand? And friends, I want you to know, it's not if you have amassed enough money or if you're the member of a certain church or it's not if you've done X number of good deeds. The Bible teaches that in ourselves, we have no righteousness. Does that make sense? All of our own righteousness is like filthy rags. But if we accept the pardon that Jesus offers, if we allow his spirit to dwell within us, Even right now, today, we can be ready for Jesus to come. Can you say amen to that? And so this is what the Bible is inviting us to do. Here in in Isaiah, this is the response of those who have given their lives to Jesus. They're waiting for Jesus to come. They're not afraid to see him when he returns. So please notice these five facts. When Jesus comes, it is Jesus. It's not just something that looks like Jesus. It is Jesus himself in that same resurrected form that Jesus returns when he comes back, you will see him. And of course, we know that all the angels come with him as well. You will hear him. It will be a glorious event. Earth will become unglued. All of the angels will be there. And make no mistake, when Jesus comes, this marks the end of human history. Now, the problem is that today in the Christian world, this this concept or this understanding is largely contested because there are pretty much two other views that surround how Jesus will come. And tonight I want to give you what many people are being taught in the Christian world. Now, if you're watching this, if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, I've never heard this, what, what, you know, I've never heard the theory that I'm about to share. If you've never heard it before, you're lucky because you haven't been deceived. But I want you to notice that the, the modern most prolific and most popular teaching on how Jesus will come, it sounds like this. Jesus first comes secretly. And by secretly, we mean nobody sees him, but the righteous will just disappear. And then for seven years, there is a rule by a antichrist power, at the end of which Jesus appears with all of the righteous who were stolen away or just disappeared. And then anybody who made it through those seven years will be able to go with Jesus to heaven. That's called the revelation. Now, the problem is that 
this particular teaching has a number of problems with it. I want to first tell you that there are some things that this teaches that are actually true. First of all, it teaches people that time is running out because it's basically saying, look, the rapture can happen anytime. Jesus can come anytime. Jesus is coming soon. Another thing that it's teaching is that there will be a global deception to confuse and to deceive Christians. That's what it teaches. And that's actually true, too. <laughs> uh, another thing that it's teaching is that millions of people will be surprised when Jesus actually returns. Guess what? That's true, too. The Bible does teach that. But the problem is that there are some things that do not harmonize with the Bible. And I actually want to share with you some of the things that don't harmonize. So let me share with you a couple of things. First of all, this is a true story. There was a pastor by the name of Dr. Roland Bingham. One evening as he was preparing his sermon, his wife came into his study and she said, honey, I'm teaching the lesson. I'm going to be teaching Sunday school. And I, we're talking about the second coming. Could you tell me where is that verse in the Bible where it says that Jesus comes secretly and he takes away all of the believers from earth? So he said, honey, it's, it's somewhere in the book of Luke. Looked and looked. And she says, honey, I don't, I don't see anything like that. Finally, he, uh, he said, no, no, uh, here, here, it's in 1 Thessalonians 4. She went and she looked. Honey, this doesn't make any sense. And remember, he was writing a sermon, right? So he's like, okay, honey, hold on. Let me, let me look at this. So he went and he read it. And to his surprise, it didn't say anything like he, he, he thought. It didn't say anything about a secret event where Jesus steals away the righteous. This was the passage that he was referring to. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a what? With a shout, with the what? Voice of the archangel and with what else? The trumpet of God. And after he read this, he said to himself, in sheer desperation, I took out my Bible and threw myself helplessly on the Lord. The weeks that followed, that innocent query and the trouble into which it landed me is a separate story. If you hold the theory of a secret rapture of the church, try out that simple question on yourself. What was the question? Where in the Bible is the verse that says that Jesus will take the righteous away secretly the first time when he comes? Now, tonight, I want to remind you of what we've covered so far in our program. So this is what we've covered so far. We said that when Jesus comes... He comes back literally. It's him. We said that when Jesus comes back, you'll be able to see him. When Jesus comes back, you'll be able to hear him. When Jesus comes back, it will be an event that will basically rock earth from its foundations. And he comes with all of the holy angels and in the glory, all the glory of the Son of Man. And then when Jesus comes, that is the end of human history. That is the end of this, at least, this current human history. Now, what's interesting is that when we look at the Bible, the Bible gives us some very clear information about how Jesus will return that contradicts some of the popular teachings that are being taught today. I want to read something from Matthew 24. The Bible says, 
Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will what? Mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now notice this. The emphasis here is the same. We read this earlier, but the emphasis is again the same, that when Jesus comes, everybody, the righteous and the wicked, will all what? They see Jesus coming. Does that make sense? They see it together. Here's Matthew 24, verse 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his, what group of people? His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So again, the Bible is emphasizing that when Jesus comes, the righteous and the wicked experience this event simultaneously or together. Now, I'm going to give you another story in the Bible that Jesus says, this is how I will come back. Let me read to you what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39. He said, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and did not know until the flood son of man beat. Now, now let's review. Jesus said, just like it was in Noah's day, before the flood, they were just living their lives and going about doing everything that they normally did. And then Jesus said, until the day that the flood came. And then Jesus said, this is how it's going to be in the day when I come back. Now let's review. Did the righteous and the wicked, did they meet the event of the flood together, yes or no? They did. In other words, it's not like, you know, the righteous were, were taken away somewhere. No, they were all together and experiencing the event at the same time. Now, some were in the ark, and some were, you know, outside of the ark, but the point is that when the flood came, they were all there experiencing that event together. Now, Again, in this popular teaching about how Jesus will return that people are being taught today, and when I say it's popular, it's not just that preachers are preaching this from the pulpit. There are books, and I'm not talking about a few books. I'm talking about there are millions of books that teach this idea. In addition to that, there are movies that are being made about this particular scenario of how Jesus will return. But I want to show you that in this scenario, one of the false teachings that it has is that when Jesus comes, first you have this, uh, what do you call that? You have this secret appearing of Jesus, and then the Antichrist appears, and then Jesus comes in the Revelation. Well, the Bible actually has a different sequence. I want to read this to you. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now look closely. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The second coming. Will not come unless the what, everybody? Falling away. Now, in the original Greek, this is the Greek word apostasia. We get the English word apostasy. So what Paul is saying is, before Jesus comes, there will be a great apostasy. Okay, let me keep reading. Comes first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, before I say anything else, let me just point something out. In these verses, Paul is talking about the Antichrist power. He gives him a number of names. He calls him the man of sin son of perdition, 
And we're going to keep learning about this, but please don't miss this. He says, before Jesus comes, there's going to be this massive apostasy, and it's going to be led by this antichrist power. Now, notice what he says. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is what? Now, this is important. I have to emphasize something. In the Bible, the word antichrist, uh, it appears, but it doesn't have the same connotation that we normally think. Because when we think of anti, we think of what? Against, right? Against. Anti-against, right? Okay, opposition, right. But did you know that in the original idea of this word antichrist, it's, it, yes, okay, did you notice in the verbiage of what Paul said, did you notice this? Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Does he oppose God? Yeah, he does. But notice what it says. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now let me point something out. Yes, the Antichrist power in the Bible opposes God. But the, the more accurate way to describe the Antichrist is that he takes the place of God. Antichrist in the original language, it more closely means instead of God. Does that make sense? Now, why is that important? Because the Bible tells us something about the timing of this revealing. It says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his what? Coming. Now, now let, me, let me just see if I can summarize what we've just read. Paul says... Before Jesus comes, there's going to be a massive apostasy, and there will be this antichrist power. If that's clear, can you say amen? Amen. Okay, good. So let's review. Before Jesus comes, Paul says there's going to be this big falling away, this big apostasy, and this antichrist power is going to be leading that. And then the Bible says in this verse, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, that when Jesus comes, he will destroy the antichrist by the brightness of his coming. If that's clear, can you say amen? That's just from the Bible. Now, let's review something. The popular teaching today is that Jesus comes first, and then the Antichrist comes. Do you see that? But the Bible actually teaches the exact opposite. The Bible teaches that the Antichrist is already here, and that he will be destroyed when? When Jesus comes, okay? So this is, again, an antagonistic to the teaching of the Bible. It's in opposition to what the Bible is actually teaching. Because the Bible teaches that when Jesus comes, that's the end of human probation. That is the end of human history. Now, why am I emphasizing that? One of the biggest deceptions that is prevalent concerning the coming of Jesus is this idea. If I don't make it, when Jesus comes secretly to steal all of his people away, then I have seven more years when I can get my act together. And if I, you don't make it in that, that, in that second chance, you have 1,000 years to get ready for the third coming. I mean, I'm serious. I'm not making this up. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that. Why? Here's what the Bible says. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my what? My reward is with me to give how many people? Every man according to his work. You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that when Jesus comes, 
That's it. If you're righteous, you're going to go to heaven. If you're not, you have another fate awaiting for you. The Bible does not teach that there is a first coming and then uh, another chance. And the Bible doesn't teach that. But you know what the deception is? The deception that's so popular is this. I don't have to get my life ready right now. You get that? You understand the ramifications of this new idea? The idea is that if I'm not ready, I can wait because I have more than one chance. That's the, that's the deception. Son, my clicker is dead. Okay, so I just want to say this because this is an important point that we cannot underestimate, and that is this. The Bible teaches that the Antichrist, and we're going to talk about this in our upcoming topic, uh, the coming of the lawless one. The Bible teaches that the Antichrist is actually alive and well here. And the Bible is saying that when Jesus comes, this is the end of his reign, okay? So this is a different sequence than many people are being taught today. Now, one of the most common phrases that is associated with this secret coming of Jesus to steal away his believers is that Jesus comes as a thief in the night. Now, I want to say something to you tonight. The Bible has two mentions in the New Testament of that expression, a thief in the night. So let's look at them. Here they are. First Peter, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come as a what? A thief in the night. So here's my question. Does Jesus come as a thief in the night, yes or no? It, yes, that's what the Bible says. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as the, it says that. It says it right there, right? But look at the rest of the verse. This is important. In the which the heavens will pass away with a what? Great noise, and the elements shall melt with what? Fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are therein will be what? Does that sound like Jesus is stealing some, some people away silently? Does that sound like that? No. So this is the expression that is commonly used, a thief in the night, to describe the secret stealing away of the righteous. But you can see from reading this passage, there's nothing silent or secret about it at all. Can, can everybody see that? Can you see that in the context? It doesn't describe that at all. Let me read to you the other passage where it's talking about a thief in the night. Here's what it says. Paul writes to the believers of Thessalonica. He says, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a what? As a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, please notice, does Paul say that the coming of Jesus will be as a thief in the night? Does he say that, yes or no? He does. But I want to make a point here because this is where people get confused. We already saw that when Jesus comes, it's literal. Everybody will see him. There will be a great sound. It will, the earth will become unglued, all this glory. We already have covered all those points. So why does the Bible say Jesus comes as a thief in the night? Well, in my life, I have been robbed several times. So I used to have an aunt 
that worked in Manhattan when we went to her home. One day we woke up, we went downstairs, and our car was gone. I mean, just like gone. So we've been, we had a, an entire vehicle stolen. Um, we also, one time I was taking a trip overseas, and I had a, I had a camera bag on my lap. I fell asleep on the bus. When I woke up, there was an entire hole on the bottom of the camera bag, and my camera was completely, like, it was gone. Someone had stolen it, okay? So I've, I've been robbed, uh, you know, actually more than that. But anyway, the point is this. When you get robbed, the thief never tells you when he's going to rob you. Does that make sense? Like, you won't get a text message. You won't get an email. They just do it when you're not expecting it. Does that make sense? Now, why is that important? The phrase, a thief in the night, it does not describe the way that Jesus that. When the Bible says Jesus comes as a thief in the night, it's describing the timing of his coming. A thief does not tell you when he's coming. Does that make sense? That's what this is talking about, not the manner. Now, why is it that today there are so many conflicting views on the coming of Jesus? Well, this is actually an interesting study because the seeds of these other ideas were planted much further back than we realize. So let me explain something that happened. There was a period when the medieval church ruled, and during that period, they called it the Dark Ages because the Bible was not in the language of the common people, okay? Well, what happened is there were terrible things that happened. I mean, if you're a Christian, you can't help but know that during this period, they did very unchristian things. They tortured people. They imprisoned them. They did some gruesome things to try to convert people over into a certain way of thinking. But over time, Bible students began to realize, wait a minute. This is all described in prophecy. And they said, this is the work of an antichrist power. Well, the church couldn't stand that. They couldn't allow that to, to continue to be taught. So what they did is they actually had some scholars that changed the interpretations of prophecies that had been commonly held for almost 2,000 years. So here's one. There was a, a priest by the name of Louis Alcazar. And when he looked at the book of Revelation and when he looked at Daniel, he said, you know what? The Antichrist is not any existing power right now. The Antichrist was this king that lived back several hundred years ago by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And so by pointing people's direction to a distant past, it removed all blame from the medieval church that participated in these Fast forward to another scholar by the name of Francisco Rivera. And this gentleman did something even more interesting. He said, no, Antichrist is not something that's existent here right now. Antichrist is a power that is coming in the future. And this was more sinister in this regards. He claimed that it would be like a non-religious power, like a secular atheistic power. And do you know... This theory, which we now call futurism, is the most popular teaching about who the Antichrist is 
in the Christian world today. That teaching was started long, a long, long time ago. And what's sad about it is that it basically says that all of the teachings of, you know, Daniel, all these men, like, they couldn't see this. This was something that they didn't, weren't able to see. And so, it, in, in essence, it kind of says that the Bible didn't give us enough information about, you know, who the Antichrist was. It kind of skipped over a lot of these events. Friends, as you're sitting here tonight, I want to remind you that Jesus warned his followers that before he comes, these deceptions about his coming would deceive, if it were possible, the very elect. Does that make sense? And I want to challenge you, something is not always true just because everybody believes it. Does that make sense? And we have some, some, uh, we have some teachers in here tonight. I know that you will look back in history and you can remember there was a time when people actually believed that the sun revolved around the earth. Did you know that? There was a period of this. And, you know, there was a guy that said, no, I've been, like, doing calculations and looking at the heavenly bodies. It's the other way around. And guess what? They threw him in prison. Like, they said, like, look, you're not going to say this anymore. And they, they literally, like, they, they punished him for what he taught. I know you know this. And God forbid if you're watching this. But there was a time in distant past. I'm not talking about now, but in distant past. There was a time when people believed that the earth was flat. Isn't that right? And you know, I know you know this. Everybody believed this. By the way, it's so alarming that this is becoming popular now again. But anyway, we won't get into that. The point is, just because everybody believed that, that did not make it true. Does that make sense? That did not make it true. Today in the Christian world, the ideas that surround the coming of Jesus especially some of these, what I call new ideas. Why do I say new? Did you know that if you could dial the clock back about 200 years to the 1800s, there was not a single Christian church in the world that taught that there was a secret rapture? Not one. That theory was literally invented in the middle of the 19th century. Check me on this. It was created by a guy by the name of... Um, uh, it escapes me now. But anyway, I'll talk about that later, okay? <laughs> so here's my point. I want you to understand that what we are talking about with you here tonight, the things that we've presented, they may be very different than what you have been taught. But one of the good things about a seminar like this is that we are not asking you to believe what I am saying. We are asking you to look at the Bible for yourself and examine the evidence for yourself. As you leave tonight, there will be a handout that has all of the references that we covered. If you're watching this on Zoom, please speak to your, your group leader, and they can email you that particular handout. I want to challenge you to please let the Bible be your guide. Because understand this. God does not say, if your life isn't ready for me, I'm going to give you seven more years to get it together. And then if that's not right, then I'll wait another thousand years. The Bible teaches that now, today is the day of salvation. And friends, 
I'm not trying to pressure you. What I'm trying to help you understand is that if we are ready and our lives are right with God now, then no matter what tomorrow or next week or next month or next year holds, we are ready to meet Jesus right now. And I want that for you and I want that for me. So if that's your desire, would you bow your heads with me as we close tonight's topic with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, in our Christian world today, there are many ideas about how Jesus will come. My prayer tonight is that every one of us would make a preparation to meet Jesus right now. That we would give our sins to Jesus. That we would invite him to dwell in us. That we would walk in his teaching. And I pray a special prayer because I know there are some that this is a foreign idea. This is a new idea. May this study, may the materials that we share help them see not what the presenter teaches, not what a particular church teaches, but let them see what the Bible teaches. Because we're asking these things in Jesus' name we pray.